Hey, this is Brendan Gersall from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Well, Brent, it's a great privilege uh, to be able to partner with you uh, through this medium. I rejoice in what God is doing in and through you and in and through the people of King's Church. It gives we on the West Coast uh, great encouragement to know how God is moving on the East Coast. I think that our greatest need right now as the upheaval and uncertainty of 2020 lingers into 2021, I think that our greatest need right now is for an apocalypse. How's that for an introduction? As I read the present moment, and as I read the way the church is seeking to live in this present moment, I think our greatest need is for a fresh apocalypse. And then to learn how to live in light of this apocalypse, to learn how to live apocalyptically. Now, what do I mean? I invite you to give your attention to the opening scene of the drama that is the last book of the Bible. I invite you to dwell with me in Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. Hear the word of God. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard before, behind me a loud voice, like the sound of a trumpet, saying, Write in a book what you see. Send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a robe reaching to the feet, girded across his breast with a golden girdle. And his head and hair were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in all of its strength, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. He laid his right hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last, the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall take place after these things. 
As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Living God, we believe that you got a hold of John, who calls us his brother. And you met him on the island of Patmos in this powerful way. And then you enabled him to write down what he saw. And I pray in your mercy and grace that you would take us beyond these words that we might also see. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Revelation of Jesus Christ. That is the title of the last book of the Bible. The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Just saying the title stirs my soul. The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, keep this title before us as we read and make our way through the rest of the book, and we will not go astray. The revelation of Jesus Christ, not revelations, although we are given a number of them in the book, and not even revelation, although we are given a grand one in the book, but the revelation of Jesus Christ. No matter where you are, will you say the words with me? The revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, please. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The point being that the book, the letter, the last book of the Bible is a letter, the drama is all about a person of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, the question is, of Jesus Christ in what sense? Of Jesus Christ as in by Jesus Christ? Or of Jesus Christ as in about Jesus Christ? Answer, yes, both, as is typical of the writings of John. The title of the last book of the Bible is The Revelation of Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ, about Jesus Christ. Now, literally, the title is the Apocalypse of Jesus Christ. The first words of the book are Apocalypsis Jesus Christu, Apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Now, what comes to your mind when you see or hear this word apocalypse? If you're like most people in our time, you think or feel, oh no, something terrible is about to happen. Scenes from films like Apocalypse Now spring up in our imaginations. The news media will use this word when speaking about massive out-of-control fires or explosions of buildings or of brutal terrorist acts. Which is why some of you were startled when I said at the beginning that our greatest need is for an apocalypse. But folks of the first century would not have referred to such events as apocalyptic. They would have used words like awful, Terrifying, horrific, catastrophic, cataclysmic, but not apocalyptic. For the word apocalyptic moves in a whole different direction. 
When first century people heard the word apocalypse, they would think or feel, oh, how wonderful, bring it on. The word apocalypse simply means unveiling, disclosure, opening up. More technically, it means breaking through from hiddenness. Breaking through from hiddenness. The word was used of lifting the cover off of a box, opening a long closed door, or pulling back the curtain of a stage. Lifting, opening, pulling back, so that what was always there but ordinarily hidden might be manifest. Let me say that again. This lifting, opening, pulling back, so that what was always there but ordinarily hidden might be manifest. So, the title of the last book of the Bible is The Apocalypse of Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ, about Jesus Christ. The title of the last book of the Bible is The Unveiling of Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ, about Jesus Christ. The title of the last book of the Bible is The Breaking Through from Hiddenness, of Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ, about Jesus Christ. So bring it on! Now, apocalyptic literature, the type of literature we're dealing with in the last book of the Bible, has two purposes, two practical purposes, two very pastoral purposes. And keep these purposes in mind, and we will not go astray as we make our way through the rest of the book. The first practical purpose is to set the present moment in all of its uncertainty and anxiety in light of the unseen realities of the future. For if we can see the future, if only for a moment, we see the present differently. In fact, if you can see the future for only a moment, we live the present differently. Dallas Willard said, the human mind must have some picture of the future. And that picture determines everything about the present. Jesus is coming. And he's bringing with him a new heaven and a new earth. A, a new city. It's the city we city builders have longed to build. And if we can see that city, if only for a moment, we see our cities differently. So the first purpose is to set the present moment in light of the unseen realities of the future. But more importantly, the second practical purpose of apocalyptic literature, to set the present moment in all of its uncertainty and anxiety in light of the unseen realities of the present. Things are not only as they seem. There is more to every present moment more to reality than we can deduce with our minds or intuit with our hearts or dream with our imagination. A, a whole lot more. And apocalyptic literature seeks to open up that whole lot more. To see the present moment in light of the unseen realities of the present. You following me? Now, it turns out that the greatest Unseen reality of the present moment is a person. The greatest unseen reality of the present is the incarnate, crucified, risen, ascended, reigning, coming, 
son of man, Jesus of Nazareth. And the apostle John would ask us, do you believe this? Does the church in our time believe this? And John would tell us that unless we do, we are not understanding the present moment correctly. Now, consider the context for the last book of the Bible. The year is 96 AD, although some people think it might be 67 AD. Either date works. I, I think it's 96 AD. The Apostle John is on the island of Patmos, just off the coast of the landmass that we now call Turkey. Patmos was a prison island, the place to which the Roman government sent criminals and political troublemakers. Think Alcatraz or Guantanamo Bay in Cuba. Now, why is John, the apostle of love, as he was called, on Patmos? What crime did John commit? Why in the world would gentle John be considered a political troublemaker? Now, you may know that the emperor at that time in 96 AD was a man named Domitian, a profoundly insecure man, full of himself. And that's why he's so profoundly insecure. Who, to compensate for his insecurity, demanded that all Roman citizens worship him. Worship him as Domini et Deus, Lord and God. All Roman citizens were to go to a temple dedicated to one of the Caesars, take a pinch of incense, throw it on the altar, and then say the words, Kaiser Curios. Caesar is Lord. You could believe just about anything else you wanted to believe as long as you said the words that embodied the spirit of the empire. Caesar is Lord. Well, John, now in his mid-80s, was not about to bow his knee to a mere mortal who dared to usurp the place only the living God can occupy. And so he, I think gently, refused to abide by Domitian's edict. He was, therefore, from the perspective of the state, an atheist. An atheist? Yes. Worship of the emperor was the glue that held the empire together. And John's gentle refusal to worship the emperor threaten the unity of the empire. So John is hauled off to Patmos, where in the words of Thomas Torrance, he's left to rot and bleach on the rocks. A personal crisis to be sure. I can imagine John saying something like this to Jesus. So this is what happens to those who spend their life serving you? I serve you all these decades and then I end up in this rotten place. An ecclesiastical crisis too. John apparently had served the seven churches on the Asia Minor as a kind of bishop, a pastor to pastors. And there he is on the prison island of Patmos alone. And the churches on the mainland now left without their leader. 
and a theological crisis, calling into question the very foundation of the faith John had taught and preached all his life, causing great apprehension, if not outright fear, in the seven churches back on the mainland. If Jesus is Lord, Jesus Kurios, as the common creed of the church has affirmed, if Jesus is Lord, if he's the ruler of the kings of the earth, Revelation 1.6, can he not take care of his disciples, his servants, his pastors, his churches? Ever face such a crisis? Ever had something happen in your life that called into question the very heart of the gospel? I was on the island called Patmos, says John, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. That's where you want to be on the Lord's day. In the spirit, meaning cooperating with the spirit, being empowered by the spirit to worship in those crummy theological crisis producing circumstances. And I heard a voice behind me, a loud voice, like the sound of a trumpet, like a trumpet. This is not just flowery language. Anyone steeped in the Bible, in the Old Testament, as John was, would have realized what is happening. For, for in the Old Testament, trumpets do what? They call people to battle, and they call people to worship. Indeed, trumpets announce the very presence of the living God. On Patmos? In prison? John says he turned to see the voice. I'm always taken by that phrase, see the voice. And when he turned, he saw seven golden lampstands. Again, anyone steeped in the Bible, in the Old Testament, as John was, would have realized what is happening. Just outside the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle that Moses built in the desert, along the south wall was a seven-branched candlestick. And on the lampstand, seven-branched lampstand, and on the lampstand were placed seven oil-burning lamps. And it was the priest's job, clothed in a robe reaching to his feet, to keep those lamps alight. Do you see what's going on? John is discovering that that miserable rock pile is the sanctuary of the living, holy God. In the spirit, on Patmos, John was given an apocalypse and discovered that even a prison can be a sanctuary. Set the present moment in light of the unseen realities of the present. And I saw in the middle of the lampstands, he says, verse 13, one like a son of man. In the middle, not just among, but in the middle. John would later learn that those seven lampstands represent the seven churches on Asia Minor. In the middle, the risen and ascended Jesus is there on the island of Patmos, and he's there in the middle of those churches of Asia Minor, not just above the churches looking down, not outside the churches looking in, but in the middle. Oh, the glorified, risen Son of Man, the Lord of history, the one to whom every Caesar one day bows his knee is there in the middle of the churches. He's in the middle of your church. He's in the middle of this gathering. And John would ask us, do you believe this? 
Do you believe that Jesus Christ is in the middle of your assembly if you do not, you do not understand the present moment correctly? Now, I want to call your attention to three major features of this initial apocalypse, of this initial unveiling of the greatest reality of the present moment. Three features. The first is voice. Voice is the dominant image of Revelation 1, as you could probably hear. Verse 10, I heard a loud voice behind me. Verse 12, and I turned to see the voice. Verse 18, and the voice was like the sound of many waters. Voice. Now, I think this is Jesus' way of saying that the most basic discipline of discipleship is listening. In the next chapters of the book, Revelation 2 to 3, John records seven messages that Jesus speaks to the seven congregations. And the one common exhortation in all seven is hear. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Seven times, hear, voice, listen. Which says to me that one of the greatest responsibilities of church leaders is to teach disciples how to listen. Now, the centrality of the voice is brought out in the way that John describes Jesus' apocalypse on Patmos. John employs a literary device common in first century Middle Eastern speaking and writing and still common in 21st century Middle Eastern communication. Scholars refer to this literary device as a chiasm. Chiasm comes from the Greek letter chi, looks like the English X, but scholars use this word chiasm not to describe the X, but one side of it, a, a sideward V. Uh, think Canada geese in formation. Now, stay with me because this is really exciting stuff. Westerners tend to think in a linear way. They read and write in a straight line, so to speak. Middle Easterners tend to think and write in a chiastic way, in, in this sideways V way. So instead of a straight line, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, a chiasm moves differently. One, then down to the right two, down to the right three, down to the right four, down to the left five, down to the six, left six, and down to the left seven. And the point of the sentence is not found in number seven, as in a Western way of thinking. The point of the sentence is found in four, in the pivot of the sentence. Now, much of the Bible is written in this format. In fact, the last book of the Bible is composed in this way. By the way, you who are interested in politics, listen to how Middle Eastern leaders speak. They speak chiastically. They make their point in the middle, not at the end. Now, in this chapter of the Apocalypse of Jesus Christ, in verses 14 to 16, we are not to read what John saw uh, in the Apocalypse in a straight line. We're not to read head, eyes, feet, voice, hand, mouth, face. When you read that, that jumps all over, all over. It doesn't make sense, does it? We're to read this in a chiastic way. Head, eyes, feet, voice, hand, mouth, face. It makes a whole lot better sense of the imagery. And let me show you. Eugene Peterson, who's the author of the message paraphrase of the Bible, helps us most. He suggests that 
head and face go together because they are the first and last impressions that we make to people. Jesus' head is white like wool, like snow, telling us that this one who is in our midst has been around a long time and he's immensely wise. No one is as wise as he. The face shining like the sun in all of its fullness. I don't know how John endured that. Telling us that the one in our midst radiates the glory of God. Eyes and mouth go together because they're the organs of relationship, the organs of communication. The eyes of Jesus are like a flame of fire. The one who is in our midst looks at us with penetrating insight. He is altogether pure and purifying. His mouth, out of which comes a sharp two-edged sword. The one who is in our midst comes to do battle with us, with, for our souls. With his word, he judges and he saves, he cleanses, he heals, he frees and he creates. Feet and hand go together because they're the parts of the body that convey capability. Jesus' feet, like burnished bronze, the one in our midst is strong and steady. He's able to move forward in victory. His hand, his right hand, holds the seven stars. Yes, the seven stars of the angels of the seven churches, but in that time, the seven stars would refer to the seven planets that were known and that people thought ran the course of history. The one in our midst holds the seven stars. He holds any cosmic or worldly power in his right hand. When I was little, we used to sing the song, he's got the whole world in his hand. And then finally, the voice. The whole chiasm points to the voice, to the inherent authority of the voice. Like the sound of many waters, says John, drowning out all the other voices that are calling for our attention and allegiance. Jesus' voice trumps all the other voices of our time. Therefore, listen. The essential dis discipline of discipleship is listen to me, to the one who holds it all together. Now, the implication of this being that the churches of Asia Minor were not listening. They were not listening to Jesus. Not hard to imagine, is it? People too distracted to listen to Jesus. Now, the fact of the matter, of course, is that they were listening, but they were listening too much to other voices, understandably so, to the threatening voice of Domitian, to the seductive voice of the empire, to voices that promised comfort and security through wealth and military power, to voices that say you can follow Jesus Christ and the idols of our time at the same time. The voice Listen, your life depends upon listening. Thus, the second feature of this initial apocalypse of the revelation of Jesus Christ. The voice speaks and he gives two commands, two commands, two. They are the two great commands of the last book of the Bible. How many? Two. The voice says, do not be afraid. And the voice says, behold, look. Do not be afraid and look. Do not be afraid, 
look. It turns out that we obey the first by obeying the second. That is, we stop being afraid when we start looking. Which is to say, when we are afraid, it means we are not looking. Or as I should say, we become afraid because we're looking in the wrong direction. We're looking at the economic factors. We're looking at all the cultural factors. We're looking at the political factors. We're looking at the rise of militant terrorism. We're looking at the collapse of the moral order. We're looking at the growing threat, and th threat to democracy. We're looking at the pandemic. We're waiting for this vaccine that's going to free us. But we're not looking at Jesus. We're not looking at the risen and ascended Lord of life. Look, says Jesus, look, I was dead, but look, I'm alive forevermore. I'm the first and the last, I'm the living one. Do not be afraid, look. Now, it turns out that we look by listening. We see by hearing. In, in the part of Vancouver where I live, there's a railroad track, and in order for me to walk from my house to Superstore or to Starbucks, I have to cross that railroad track. And just as you cross, there is a yellow circle on the cement with the words, look, listen, live. What a great summary of this apocalypse. Look, listen, and you'll live. And the third major feature of this initial apocalypse to which I call your attention, in the middle. The voice speaks from the middle, not just from above, not from outside, but from the middle, from the center. Yes, from the middle of the churches, verse 13. He's in the middle of the candlesticks. But as the rest of the revelation of Jesus Christ will show us, it's from the middle of everything. Revelation chapter five, the lion has triumphed. And John says he turned to see the lion and he sees a lamb as if slain, standing in the middle of the throne. Revelation five, six, the greatest verse of the whole book in the middle of the throne, which means that the Lamb stands in the middle of the Almighty on the throne. The voice speaks from the very middle of everything. Do you believe this? Does the church in our time believe this? That the risen, ascended Jesus speaks from the very middle of everything, that he is the center of everything. The initial apocalypse of the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, I think speaks to what many Christians, especially Christian leaders, lament as the marginalization of the church. If I'm reading the Christian landscape correctly, especially in the Western world, many, if not most, believers and leaders are feeling marginalized. Am, am I right? Marginalized vis-a-vis -vis the culture, marginalized vis-a-vis -vis the power structures that seem to rule our lives, marginalized vis-a-vis -vis the great forces that seem to be driving history, right? Am I right? Marginalized, feeling marginalized, understandably so. I mean, the surrounding culture does not even care if the church is here. The church seems to have disappeared from the radar screen of political decision-making, marginalized, we're the non-essentials, right? But as I see it, in light of the last book of the Bible, the crisis is not that we might be marginalized. The crisis is that we feel marginalized. 
Let me say that again. The crisis is not that we might be marginalized. The crisis is that we feel marginalized. For one only feels marginalized if one thinks he or she is not in the center. Let me say that again. We only feel marginalized if we think we're not in the center. So, we feel marginalized relative to Hollywood because we feel left out of the center that is Hollywood. We feel marginalized relative to Ottawa because we feel left out of the center that is Ottawa. We feel marginalized relative to Washington, D.C. or Beijing because we feel left out of the center that is D.C., the center that is in Beijing, and on it goes. Feeling left out what seems to be the center. <laughs> well, things are not as they seem. Hollywood is not the center. I'm not dissing Hollywood. I'm just saying it's not the center. Ottawa, D.C., Beijing are not the center. Again, I'm not dissing those powerful cities. Wall Street's not the center. Apple, Microsoft are not the center. Google is not the center. Again, I'm not dissing those major corporations. I'm just saying they're not the center. The center is a person. The center of everything is a person. Now get this, get this. This is worth the price of admission. What is not in sync with the true center is on the margins. What is not true to the person who is the center is on the margins. We feel marginalized because our souls have been given in to the great illusions of our time. And we assess our lives and our ministries relative to the margins. Are, are you following me? This is huge. What is not in sync with Jesus is on the margins. Ideologies out of sync with Jesus are on the wrong side of history. Values that are out of sync with Jesus are on the margins and end up valueless. Now, why do disciples of him who is the center allow their lives to be driven by the margins? Jesus does not call us to make him and his gospel relative, relevant to the margins. It cannot happen. The only hope for margins is that they repent. The challenge is to bring everything on the margin into the center. The early church was used to win the Roman Empire without any political clout and without any support from the culture. And right now the church is seeking political clout and the pleasure of the culture. The early church needed neither of those. And we don't either. The early church was used by the Holy Spirit to win the Roman Empire, because those early disciples lived in and served from the center. Tim Keller puts it so well. What is not tethered to the eternal is eternally out of date. I love that new song from Hillsong and the way it puts it. The third verse of King of Kings. Now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel, shall not faint. Why kneel before the margins? Why faint before what's on the margins? Listen. Look, in the middle, the crucified, ascended, coming Jesus speaks from the middle, in the center, and from the center of everything. I think I hear Jesus saying to me, you get discouraged because you get disoriented, and you get disoriented because you get distracted. I, I think Jesus is saying, you think 
that in order to influence the world, you need something more than me. You think that you need something more attractive than me to win the world. You think you need something more marketable than me, something more believable than me. What you need, he says, is an apocalypse. You need to see the present moment in light of the unseen realities of the future. And you need to see the present moment in light of the unseen realities of the present. I, he says, I am the great unseen reality of the present. Look at me, listen to me, I have the keys. I've got the keys, the keys to death and hell. No one else has got the keys. Only I have them. And if I have the keys to death and Hades, to that which you fear the most, then I've got the keys to everything else. Do not be afraid. Things are not only as they seem. I am the crucified one, am alive, and I hold the keys. Bring on the apocalypse. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you know how we are bombarded by voices from every angle around us. And you know how we succumb to those voices, how easy it is for us. Thank you that you love us even when we give in to the other voices. But I'm praying today, Lord, that you would help us hear your voice. Your do not be afraid and your look. Thank you that you have the whole world in your hands. Amen.